From Infinite Guest, this is Top Score, a weekly visit with contemporary composers who make video game soundtracks. I'm Emily Rees. A couple years ago, composer Nathaniel James Apostle and a handful of his friends started working on a game together in Manchester, England. The result is called Ether One. Yet rather than saving the princess or conquering the aliens or defending a tower, you act as a restorer who helps patients with dementia to repair damage in their brain. As a player, you go into the patient's memories and restore order by solving puzzles. A person with dementia tends to have good days and bad days, and Nathaniel James found brilliant musical ways to reflect this yo-yo effect. Well, again, thanks a lot for chatting with me. I think the, the, this game that you worked on is absolutely gorgeous and has a fabulous story. And I'd love to you know, talk about that with you. First of all, if you would be able to explain the game, what happens in Ether One? How does the game work? Okay, so the basic gist we go for with the game um, to make it easier to handle is that it's a first-person adventure puzzle game. Um, so a lot of the focus on gameplay is puzzle solving. And I'm just going to go straight into <laughs> going into the in-depth because I could spend a long time like trying to give up. I might as well just talk about what it really is. It's a narrative um, adventure game. And by completing puzzles in the game, you unlock more narrative. So it is a game that's heavily, um, heavily based on storytelling. And the puzzles are there to supplement the story with gameplay. There's a game called Myst um, that we get likened to quite a lot. Um, and I guess that is really the, the kind of style of game that we are. We are, we are trying to tell a story with gameplay. I th- and I think, that's, I think that's the best way to describe it. I don't know if I did a very good job there, but that is... No, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Can you tell me about the story itself a little bit without giving too much away? Can we talk about what the subject is? Yeah, definitely. So... The, the premise for the game, you play a character called a restorer. And there's a company called the Ether Institute, and they think that they have a cure for, um, for certain um, illnesses and brain diseases. One that we're specifically tackling in the game is, um, is dementia. And they feel that they have a cure um, for that. And it's very experimental and it's very cutting edge. And what they do is they send this person that they call a restorer inside somebody's mind to actually walk around the the mind and the memories um, and try and find the, the root of the illness and actually try to physically mend broken memories or find memories that might have been forgotten or lost or buried deep in the mind. So 
So that's the premise. You play the character sent into the mind to do that. Um, and then obviously as you start, uh, and that's what the puzzles are in the game. The puzzles themselves are areas of the mind that have become confusing or or they've become partially lost. And you've, it's your job to look at the world around you and say, right, okay, there's a lot of information here. What's useful and what's not useful? What's part of the puzzle and what isn't? And the more you kind of put together yourself, the more you piece together more of the story and do the job of the restorer. How did then you, you musically adapt to the changes as you went into different memories and things? It's a really good question. Musically, I actually used um, used the theme of dementia and and used a lot of the level design to inspire what I was going to actually do musically. I did uh, I did a degree in experimental music, and I think that made it almost shaped the way I thought about creating the music because everything I made I made for the game because of the game you know we really didn't want to just put music on top of the game so even from the main melody of the game I'm going to probably give you a really horrible example vocally of it now but um the the actual main melody of the game is four notes that goes do 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 so it goes up and then down and then up again and then down and it repeats that and the way I came up with that melody was as we were researching dementia and we were and we were looking at different illnesses and going into it, you start to notice that sometimes somebody who is suffering with dementia seems to be completely coherent and and with the situation around them. And then the next moment when they when they're having you know a bad day, they might not remember certain people who are around them or people that they've known all their lives or they might be very confused and there's a lot of good days and bad days and ups and downs and that that is literally where the melody came from ups and downs um i wanted something that in itself was a metaphor and reflected that it goes goes up and down <laughs> um almost as simple as that you can hear the melody go up in this cue called the village part 1 you get involved in the project? I was at Preston UCLan, um, which is a university not too far away from where I live, and there was an opportunity to go into the games department um, and have a look at what people were doing in there and trying to get the two courses to merge. And they'd never done it before, so it was a really good opportunity. And I went in and there was a, a gentleman called James Burton working on a a mobile phone app and uh, we just started talking for the best part of an hour and said right what can, what can I do for this little app and what can we do there and made a good friendship through it and it was actually he who got asked to be part of white paper games as they were forming and they needed a tech artist and when it came around to the idea of needing um, needing audio that's when they got involved with me so we all we all met in the one space really and it's such a beautiful game visually. How much access did you have to the visuals as you were writing? 100%. We started off um, the way most indies do, um, just in our bedrooms and talking all day on Skype and uh, and seeing what we could do that way. But it, 
as the game went on, it became obvious that we needed to be in the same room. So we managed to get an office um, in the middle of Manchester. We were extremely lucky to get it, actually. Um, I had OJ, the artist, sat right next to me, and James sat just across the room and his monitor facing me and we we're all sat in a circle and Pete in the center of the room he was the lead game designer and it was actually brilliant because if a single decision was made every single person in the room knew about the decision immediately and, and we all we all helped out with it so yeah if I if I needed anything it was an instant I could just you know walk over to or just look over to somebody's monitor and have a look it was really really handy for me actually this is called milestones getting ready to write the music for Ether One, what kinds of discussions were there about uh, palette or color? What kind of instruments you would use, figuratively speaking? There weren't a great deal of conversations regarding it initially, to be honest with you. They kind of gave me a free reign and said, go, you know, have a look at everything, have a look at the subject matter, have a look at all the art and just go. And I think what really happened was the music was there from the word go, really. It, it wasn't something that we put on at the end of the game. So I, I wrote some ideas and we went, oh, that's, that works, that doesn't work. Let's keep that idea. But then as we moved forward with the music, the art style began to change ever so slightly. Um, so we go right. Well, this music doesn't, you know, doesn't fit because of the art style. And then as the as the game started to change story, we were like, right, this. I actually, I wrote about probably four soundtracks for the game, which all which all got deleted. Um, Forever? Or did you save them somewhere? Uh, you're gonna hate me for saying this, but I actually. <laughs> A lot of them are gone forever, um, but not because I deleted them. I, I do. I have the, this uh, tendency to delete work if somebody's first impression is, oh, that reminds me of, or that sounds just like, I sometimes just hear the delete button straight away. And then, But uh, sadly, I, I made a very rookie um, move um, and I didn't back up some of my early work. And when I had a computer crash, I lost a lot of it. But it's funny you should say that, actually, because on the soundtrack, there are a couple of bonus tracks on there that are from previous builds of the game that, that never saw the light of day on the final thing. And I put them on the soundtrack because I thought it'd be really interesting for people to be able to see what the game could have ended up being like, you know, soundscape wise. There's two tracks on there called The Case. I think and there was one point where there was this massive sprawling landscape under a huge dome and there were 
floating concrete blocks that would go right by your head and you'd walk and the ground would build itself under you or disappear from under you and it was this it was absolutely epic and we all loved it but as the game went on we just started to realize that it was it wasn't needed it was too much and it probably took a little away from the story because it was level design wise it was overpowering and which is why in the game you end up with this tiny little area which is the case where we contain everything that's needed in the hub. And so I absolutely love those two pieces of music, but they weren't needed, so they had to go. So to try and answer your question a bit better, um, we talked about the music as it was happening because we wanted to, uh, we wanted all of the art to influence every decision we made. Sometimes if I finished a few pieces of music, I'd put them all together on a little playlist and I'd give them to OJ and he'd be listening to them while he was working and creating new things. Yeah. And if he got new images, he would send them to me. And when I was writing music, I'd have them as my, as my, um, my background on the, on the computer and art came and went and music came and went. And it was only when it came to doing the final, absolutely final take of the soundtrack that I, I deleted two of the themes because there were three themes for the game. I deleted two of them because they just metaphorically, they didn't say anything about the game. And until I mentioned to you about the ups and downs, I don't know how many people would pick up on that anyway, but I wanted it to be in there. And I kind of purged everything, you know, purged everything and said that isn't that metaphorically doesn't suggest what I wanted to, or that doesn't come across. So I'm just going to keep the melody that does. Um, and try and build everything around that. This is Remembering Jean, Part 2. mentioned that the art changed a little bit and you know and you mentioned that you had all these other soundtracks so what were the big differences between how the art changed how the music changed the art i mean there were quite a lot of uh i mean for a start i think to be honest with you i don't think anybody in i don't think anybody in the, in the company would have a problem admitting and myself as well that from the get-go of the project to the moment we released the game, we all learned a great deal. And sometimes the art would be have to be redone purely because some of the actual building blocks of the game had been built in a way that they were too expensive memory-wise to put in the game. Or you would need to put five or six of these pieces together to build a wall that really you could get away with just having one. So as we went on and we realized how to make the the set pieces for the game more efficient and all of the building blocks for the game, the art that covered those then um, got redone as well. And again, done more efficiently. And any artist, if they start creating a piece of work a year from today, it will have differences from, you know, from the piece of work they were doing a year ago. You know, This cue is called acceptance.
think one of the best decisions I made was to say that the non-diegetic music would be outside and the diegetic music would all be inside so that if you're walking outside you can tri- and you're looking at m- nice landscapes and scenery you can have this music playing to the player that really sets the scene for what you're looking at but as you walk inside a building that music will fade off slowly but you can never trigger it again inside a building but inside a building there were radios and gramophones that ha- also had a narrative tie into the story depending on how much you complete and they can be triggered if the player wants to to give them a musical element if they if they choose to do that and i think another thing as well it's really nice when somebody walks inside a house and there is this music still playing and they choose to um choose to turn on a radio and have the two different musics that's something that some people hate but i absolutely love it so it's nice to give the player that option So you mentioned the beautiful scenery and landscape, and it is an absolutely beautiful game. So how much of that landscape was inspired by where you live? Or does OJ live there too, around there too? Yeah, OJ lives on the Wirral, which is um, basically part of Liverpool. It's a peninsula um, by Liverpool. But the the actual setting is a few hundred miles down south from where we live in Cornwall. I went there myself and took quite a few pictures, but before before we actually started making the game, all of us sat and just got picture after picture after picture. Um, and OJ built a massive, a massive like a mural basically on one of the walls in the office, and it was just absolutely covered in pictures of Cornwall. And sat there and said, "Oh, that cove is a, is a really nice shape. Um, that lighthouse there." from this completely other part of uh, part of Cornwall. Um, let's put that lighthouse on that cove. Oh, but these buildings are nice. Well, let's take that town from that Cornish area and put it in this cove. So we kind of built... Well, I didn't personally. It was OJ and, and Pete. Um, Pete's the uh, lead game designer. It was those two, really, who, who sat down and, and built this landscape. Here's more of the track, Milestones. And they rebuilt it, I think, five times. So uh, <laughs> we were learning. We were learning. Um, if you saw the first look at the game, you probably wouldn't be thinking, wow, what a beautiful scene. You'd probably be thinking, okay, let's yeah, go back to school. Yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah. So it got the way it looks because um, we had to learn not to be precious with our work. And um, things got deleted and redone, but for good reason. So did you perform all the music? Did you did you play everything or did you bring in some help? Uh, 99.9% I think I'd say was me, but I can't claim it all. Um, there was an artist who actually um, did some concept art for the game originally called Brody Blackwell and he, uh, he played some saxophone um, on one of the smoking room tracks in the game. Um, there was also... A really, really talented group um, of musicians called the Leos String Quartet, and I was actually walking 
on one of the rare occasions we took a lunch break, I was walking through uh, the Christmas markets in Manchester where our office is, and I saw this group of musicians playing on the street, and uh, I just I I asked them. I, I had my recorder on me, I always do, um, and I just said to them, "You guys are fantastic. I would absolutely love that music to be playing in the village in our game. Would you mind if I recorded you?" And they said yes, um, and they did it. They did it purely for the credit as well, which is good because we didn't. Uh, have any capital so I was really lucky yeah I was really lucky um, with some of the people I got but other than that everything else was um, was performed by me yeah this one makes my heart smile it's called home also that you wanted the theme to well be a metaphor for dementia is that something you try to often do in your work i try i try and make it a theme of mine that if i'm putting something in it's there because it means something there are certain melodies that are played throughout the harbor in our game and I don't want to give too much away for people who haven't played, but one of the melodies that you hear repeated in the harbour is actually the answer to one of the puzzles, um, because it's an audio puzzle. So as I was writing the harbour music, I needed to know what the puzzle was doing, so Pete included me in the puzzle design with that puzzle, um, and so we built we built them in conjunction with each other. And then... I don't think anybody's that I have seen play through it has guessed it from listening to the music, but I have seen people solve the puzzle and then go, oh, it's in the music, you know. It's like <laughs> kicking themselves because it was there all the time and they've heard it a million times. Another, actually, another thing about the harbour music, when you first spawn in the level for the very first time, there's an introductory piece of music that flows into the first, what we call stings. And it actually changes key into all of the other stings and it changes down. And I wanted that to be almost a metaphor for you've been introduced, but now you're down inside the demented state, almost going down into the rabbit hole. Um, and again, it's not something that I think many people will pick up on. Like it's not in your face, but it happens. All of the, all of the music drops a key and stays there for the rest of the time um, until until the middle of the game. Here's the area of the mind you've just entered. answer that question a little further as well because I do like that question a lot absolutely another thing I, I, I was that was a conscious decision to do with um, good and bad days and ups and downs was that I didn't want there to be any rhythm that I played to a click track at all while you were in a level where you were in the depths of the dementia 
So in the harbour and in the village and in the um, industrial area, every single piece of music that I played, I played it completely free of click tracks. Um, and when I layered the next piece of music over it, um, I would play it to the music um, purely as opposed to trying to keep everything regimented because I wanted it all to feel loose. And although it had a structure, I didn't want it to feel like it was rigid. I wanted it to feel like anything could happen time-wise and it wouldn't be out of, the, you know, out of the blue. But then on the mid-section of the game and the end of the game, and any point that we um, define as being truth in the story, um, I think that's a bit of a spoiler actually, but it doesn't matter. Um, any point that we that we considered to be when the player is close to understanding the truth, everything was played to a click track and everything was rigid and everything had a form that that again metaphorically you could say right that has structure and it's predictable rhythm because this is knowledge this is truth and this is being able to see what's about to come as opposed to not knowing. This is the ether experiments. say this much, that if everyone put as much thought and care into their music as you have yours, (laughs) uh, that'd be pretty awesome because this is, I I really appreciate that. And there's something that I think we sense, we might not be able to say, oh, well, I noticed that this dropped uh, down a half step or a whole step. Um, We might not be able to put our finger on it, but I, I do feel like those are things that we sense. And I agree, yeah. it, it makes the experience that much more meaningful when there's intent behind it. And uh, so thank you for being awesome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. That's, it's nice to hear. That's what I think. That's exactly what I think, that people can feel it and they don't always have to know it. Um, but yeah, they can feel it. Um, and that's what I tried to do is create a sense of something's happened. What is it? You know? So one of my last questions is now that you've you and your team have gone through this process of making a game and in in what sounds like making it several times before you made the You're final product yeah, yeah. <laughs> is this a road you all want to go down again do you want to make another game or maybe you're already making it we're on the ladder to making games now this was our test Um, We don't consider ourselves pros by any standard, but we consider ourselves on the ladder. And now it's like, right, we know how to make a game. What are we going to do? And I think we all, I think we're all really looking forward to to the next project. And here's a track called Nova Initia. It's been a learning experience with, like, you know, 
we've all been literally living in, in you know in each other's space for for so long to make this game and on zero money and uh, that's something I actually that uh, I'll just say one of my biggest rewards for doing this whole game was there was one just one person who sent me a private message and said that they'd um, downloaded my album and it helped them through a really hard time in their life and that they were really thankful for me making it and although the game is now you know on sale and the the company is starting to to make a dent and and you know think about new things that's been the most rewarding thing for me when somebody actually just listens and enjoys it and that's that's been the best part of uh, this whole experience for me i think was that one comment <laughs> so as long as you can please one person you know <laughs> Well, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you and learn more about your process and the game. And uh, thanks so much. It was really great to meet you. No, thank you, honestly, for this opportunity. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Top Score. Top Score is part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. Our next episode will be part of the Infinite Guest year-end extravaganza. All of our shows will share some of their best material and look back at 2014. Next week, I'll reveal five of my favorite video game soundtracks from this past year. Learn more by following Infinite Guest on Twitter. You can learn more about composer Nathaniel James Apostle and the game Ether One at infiniteguest.org. Top Score's production assistants are Pierce Huxtable and Nina Paddock. Mark Hintz mixes each episode. Top Score is supported in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, Artworks. You can follow Top Score on Twitter and Facebook at Top Score Podcast. That's Top Score. I'm Emily Reese. <laughs>